0: I'm going to be reading Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has a home, and the swallow has a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty, listen to me, God of Jacob look on our shield O god look with favor on your anointed one better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than dwell in the tents of the wicked for the lord god is a sun and shield the lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless lord almighty Blessed is is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This morning we're going to talk about Psalm eighty-four. And I have a two point sermon. Two point sermon. Now (laughs) before you get all excited, that doesn't mean it's shorter. It just means it has two points. Okay. And I want to begin by reading Psalm 84, which I often do in preparation. I read lots of different translations because there's always an insight somewhere. I want to read Psalm 84 uh, from the message that was uh, drafted by Eugene Peterson. And uh, by the way, the message is not a translation in the traditional sense. It's a a translation that's almost like a commentary, okay? Okay. So, don't get too critical with paraphrases because they're expanding it. They're helping you to see things. So, I hope these words help you to see some things. What a beautiful home, God of angel armies. I've always longed to live in a place like this, always dreamed of a room in your house where I could sing for joy to God alive. Birds find nooks and crannies in your house, and sparrows and swallows make their nests there. They lay their eggs and raise their young, singing their songs in the place where we worship. God of angel armies, King God, how blessed they are to live and sing there. And how blessed are all those in whom you live, whose lives become roads you travel They wind through lonesome valleys, come upon brooks, and discover cool springs and pools brimming with rain. God traveled these roads. They curve up the mountain and at last turn Zion, God in full view. God of angel armies, listen. God of Jacob, open your ears. I'm praying. Look at our shields glistening in the sun, our faces shining with your gracious anointing. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. How about that? I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than to be an honored guest in the palace of sin. All sunshine and sovereign is God, generous in gifts and glory. He doesn't skimp with his traveling companions. It's smooth sailing all the way with God of angel armies. What a beautiful rendition of the psalm. So the two points, presence and pilgrimage. Pilgrimage you find them both in the psalm. Of course, many other things as well. But first, presence. Sometimes we look at psalms or pieces of scripture in isolation as if, because they're word of God, they're utterly unique to the culture around them. And the truth of them is often utterly unique, but sometimes the tapestry around it is very similar. So, for instance, in the ancient Middle East, place, sacred place, just like the temple, was incredibly important. Temples were seen to be the center of the cosmos, the meeting place between heaven and earth. And some suggest it was the meeting place between heaven and earth and the underworld, That's the way they would have viewed it as neighbors of Israel. Egyptians built temples and filled the ground in the foundation with clean sand to preserve its sanctity. Often remodeling in these places or rebuilding of a temple including, included digging down to virgin soil to reset the sacred foundations. Just a little snippet of the culture around them. In other words, place was incredibly important. And speaking into that culture, the psalmist helps us to understand that place is important for us as well. The importance of sacred space for Israel is seen all throughout the scripture, not just at the temple, although that was the high point in the nation of Israel. Remember God's appearances over time to people in the Old Testament? For instance, when Jacob was being pursued or about to be pursued by his brother Esau and he was trying to figure out what to do with his life, he had a vision and in that vision, angels came down on a, on a ladder to, to earth from heaven. He woke up, and you know what he said? He said, God was in this place. And I didn't even notice. God was right here. It was a nexus point between heaven and earth. So what did he do? He set up a stone, and he dedicated it, and he called the place Bethel. Or how about the other time that I know you remember when Moses was on the backside of a desert and a bush was burning and it wouldn't go out. And he heard a voice from God and he realized he was in a sacred place. But you know, one of the reasons he realized he was in a sacred place is because God spoke to him and said, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Holy ground? It's just the sand in the wilderness. Holy ground, a bush that's burning. Holy ground, said God. Because there's a nexus between heaven and earth in this moment. Get down on your knees. Space, place, is very important. And of course, the most notable place and space for the people of God was the temple In Jerusalem, the courts were sacred, the outer courts. The holy place was sacred, for sure. But especially the holy of holies was sacred because there was the altar. And in the presence of God at the altar, you understood the deep devotion of God toward you, that he would forgive your sins, that he loved you. That's why the psalmist says, I want to be close to the altar. I want to be in your courts. I want to be like the birds up there that are nesting and singing your praises. I want to be in your presence because in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, says another psalm. I want to be there. Place, of course, the temple or some form of a holy ground is important, not so much because of the place, but because of what the place symbolizes, correct? It's it's not about the place as much as it is about the location being close to God. As a deer, Pants for the water, says a psalmist in Psalm 41. So my soul longs for you, pants for you, like I'm in a dry and a barren land. I want to be in your presence. So, can I stop for a minute? and mention something that i know many of you realize that over the last few weeks we've lost a few people who are no longer with us but they're in the presence of god chuck hamstra in the presence of god Alejo Vela in the presence of God, in his presence, is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God says, a psalmist, I want to be there. I want to be in your courts. But really, I want to be in your presence. Now, you know what happens when we focus on something, right? We have a tendency to be myopic. We hone in on one thing. And before long, that one thing becomes a form of idolatry, and it happens all the time. So we hone in on people, and we make statues of them. We hone in on places, and we make them sacred. And before long, we're not worshiping the Almighty God. We're actually worshiping the place, that, that's a corrective I needed to throw in as it relates to the importance of place. Place is important. Don't hear me wrong, but place can be a diversion from the real thing. I, I'm going to uh, hold uh, my next thought until point two. Uh, I wanted to launch into it right now, but I'm not going to. So now I move just very seamlessly to point two. <laughs> First presence, then pilgrimage. There's a reference in this psalm to the Valley of Baca. Certain amount of curiosity as to whether or not it's a particular place. It's likely that it was either a particular place or a particular image for places along the way in the journey to Jerusalem. But either way, the more important part of that notion of place is the pilgrimage. Right? We've moved from the temple as the place in the presence of God. And now we're in a journey together with the people of God. And we're walking through this thing called the Valley of Baca. And it might have been a particular place. It might have been a one of several places. But what we know for sure is this. Baca refers in the Hebrew to weeping. Wherever it is it's a place of weeping it's also a word used for a tree a balsam tree that weeps resin so the psalmist says on this journey we walk through the valley of baka through the valley of tears through the valley of weeping that's part of the journey We've started high, talking about the presence of God, and now we're getting real. We're talking about the pilgrimage to get there. I mentioned Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the water, and later in that same Psalm, just a couple of verses later, there's this phrase, I remember how we went with the multitude to the temple. You know what a journey, a pilgrimage was like on the way to the temple? Everybody journeyed together. Everybody sang together. Everybody anticipated together. As a matter of fact, a pilgrimage alone was a really bad idea. It was dangerous You probably know where I'm going. This is your community of faith. And when you're walking the journey alone, you're walking in a dangerous place. No matter how much you love God, if you're walking alone, you're in a dangerous place. For... 30 years of ministry now. I have watched people leave the fellowship of believers as a first exit point to leaving their faith. It has happened countless times in my memory. That's why the book of Hebrews, when talking to Christ followers who are on a journey said, Don't neglect the gathering of people together. It is good. We need each other. We need to hear it again. It's part of the journey. You know, those of you who have been around here for a long time and heard me preach too much, I really feel sorry for you. I promise I do. You probably heard themes that just get repeated, and this is one of them. Folks, we got to be together, we got to worship together. It's absolutely essential. You may be saying to yourself, Bob, I've heard you say that a hundred times. Well, until I retire, I'll probably say it a hundred times more. If you don't like it, talk to the elders, they'll fire me. (laughs) I doubt it. What, what, what What would someone say if you said to them, well, why do we need to read the Bible again? We all know it, it's so old. A huge part of preaching and being in fellowship with one another is remembering, thinking again, hearing again. You need to hear it from your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where the journey has meaning. Not alone. Alone is a dangerous place. So our modern sensibility is very troubling to me. It goes like this, if nothing gets in the way of gathering for worship, I'll I'll come. If it's convenient, I'll be there. If I'm not too busy or I'm not too tired, I'll show up. The worst of all is if I feel like it, I'm going to go. Seriously. This community is a place where your faith is renewed and you need it. Those were the two points. Went pretty quickly, but now got an application. (laughs) As Christians, we all walk through the Valley of Bacaw, the Valley of Weeping and Tears. And in the midst of that walk, we experience autumn rains, Autumn rains were critical for first century believers. They understood that if they didn't get autumn rains, they didn't have a crop. If they didn't have wheat, they didn't have bread. They had to have their autumn rains. That's why he puts it in here. Everybody knew it. The absence of autumn rains produced famine and death. You know, no wonder Jesus said I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. You must be in my presence and in the presence of Christ's followers on this journey so that you can be fed, so that you can drink of the living water. But here's something else I want you to notice, at least in my reading of this psalm. The psalmist seems to say, that the valley of tears through which God allows us to walk actually produces autumn rains. They're not two separate things. He brings them together. He doesn't say that autumn rains are going to eliminate the valley of Bacchah. He puts the autumn rains in the valley of Bacchah. He puts the water in the tears. One one translation I read this week put it this way. Even when their path, that's the pilgrims, even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool Where others only find pain, they grow stronger and stronger every step forward. Now, I know that some people are going to take this the wrong way or be offended, but please hear my heart. There is a neglected reality in our contemporary subconsciousness that says stress and trouble and trials and conflict are bad. Just retreat from them. My friends, that kind of admonition of retreat from it is absolutely counter to Christian discipleship. Let me put it another way. Stress, trouble, trials, heartache... They are a normal part of life. They're not an anomaly. They are part of life. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, you grow strong. And if you retreat from that, you will be sickly. You will not grow. It's the valley of Baca. Walk it. Stay on the path. Wait for the autumn rains. God will be faithful, but don't retreat. Whatever you do, don't run. Just stay there. For those few unfortunate souls who have gone through premarital counseling with me, they know what I'm talking about. I frequently start by saying I'm trying to create problems here. You show me a marriage that has no conflict, and I'll show you a marriage that's pathetic. How in the world are you going to grow in your marriage without conflict? You won't. How in the world are you going to grow in your faith without problems? You won't. It's part of life. Live through it, it's the valley. And in the middle of the valley, the rains will come. So the first part of the application is that all of us walk through the valley of Bacal. Just do it. And let God be with you. Second, in our journey, all of our journeys, we're looking for a city. A city we were made for. This is a theme in Hebrews chapter 12 put it another way, this is not our permanent home. Oh, it's a beautiful home. I love this home. I love this earth. I love everything about this place, but it's not my final home. Or again, as the book of Hebrews puts it, all of it is just like a shadow. I'm looking on the pulpit right here at my hand. It's pretty accurate in the shadow, but it's just a shadow. The shadow doesn't show the backsides and the scars on this hand and the freckles. It just shows a shadow. And the book of Hebrews says the altar was a shadow. The temple was a shadow. The holy place was a shadow. All of that was a shadow before Christ came and he fulfilled it. But the writer of the book of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He basically says the shadows of this life are essentially shadows of a new life. We're looking constantly in the midst of the shadows for a city that God has built. For a city that is our destination. Oh my, what an image. Christ fulfilled many of the shadows, but the final dispensing of the shadows and the perfect clarity is yet to come. So I've taken numerous trips to California, several all by myself. Now, that sounds horrible to some of you, but it is a complete delight to me. I get in the car, and I drive I-70 all the way to 15 and going south, and I go into L.A. My son used to live there for a time, and I made multiple trips out there. One of the things I delighted in was going across I-70. In the western part of Kansas which is pretty nondescript. (laughs) And in the eastern part of Colorado, which is really no different. And then, knowing full well that it's coming, I strain my eyes for those Rocky Mountains. It's a thing of exquisite beauty. I'm on a journey. (laughs) And I'm looking ahead. I'm anticipating something. We're on a journey, my friends. We're looking ahead. We're anticipating that celestial city. We're not there yet. But like the children in the car who say, are we there yet? The answer is no. Are we going to get there? Absolutely. Keep your eyes fixed on the horizon. And the mountains, they're going to emerge. So whatever you're walking through. Keep that in mind. This is not it. This is not final. The struggle is real and it's important. It shapes you. The journey has an ultimate destination. Keep your eyes, as the book of Hebrews says, fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And now sits at the right hand of God the Father. You know, uh, the last verse in Psalm 12 was, I mean, Psalm 84 was verse 12. You've heard about coloring outside the lines. I'm going to make a heretical statement. And I'm going to say verse 12 was not the final verse. You know what the final verse was? The book of Revelation, Revelation 21. The final verse of Psalm 84 is a new heaven and a new earth. The home of God is among human beings, and He will be with them. They will be His people, and He will be their God. Unbroken presence. And in that unbroken presence, there will be a wiping away of every tear from your eye. No more mourning or crying or death. None of it. Because death will be no more. And the writer goes on in chapter 21 to say, when I saw this revelation, this this wonderful, beautiful city coming down from heaven because of God making his presence with his people, I also noticed, get this, there wasn't a temple. There was no temple. Why? Because God Almighty and the Lamb of God, says the writer, is in their presence. They are the temple. So what's the sacred space all about? What's the presence all about? It's about oneness with God. And someday, no temple needed, we will be in the presence of Almighty God forever. I don't really want to speed up my death, but some days I can't wait for it. To be ushered into the presence of Almighty God, where there is fullness of joy. Let's pray together. God, you have been so gracious. Well, first of all, to forgive us and give us life. But you've also been gracious to give us hope. You've showed us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this is not the end. You've promised in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to raise us too. And you promise us eternal life so that when we pass from this fleeting life, as we walk through the Valley of Baca, as we learn the lessons of faith, as we delight even here in your presence, we know that there's more to come. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for that hope that is within us. In your name we pray. Amen.